The following is a Pro Football Network podcast, the primary voice for pro football at profootballnetwork.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next? Last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. What is up, everybody? Back again with the PFN Premier NFL Draft Podcast. I am Ian Cummings, and we got Ali Hodgkinson along for the ride as well. Ali, it's been a big week, man. I mean, I we were I think it was a couple days ago when the Broncos traded with Seattle for Russell Wilson, obviously. And then yesterday... The Washington Commanders, again, that's another thing I'm never going to get used to. But they traded uh, for Carson Wentz well, with the Indianapolis Colts just one year after the Colts had traded for Wentz. So interesting moves, but uh, we're going to talk about the ramifications in the draft uh, for these teams. And then at the end of the podcast, we're also going to touch on you know the pro days are ramping up. So the Combine was the biggest showcase for the uh, athletic testing, but it's not the end of the road by any stretch. And the pro days can help give a window to guys who aren't quite as as heralded on the draft stage. So a lot to talk about today. But first off, man, I gotta ask, how you doing? I'm doing really good, man. This is uh this is pretty cool. Like we get to speak to each other twice a week, sit down and record this show. I actually feel like I speak to you a little bit more than most of my closest friends and even sometimes my girlfriend. Um, and we just get to come out here and talk about football. It's awesome, man. I love it. Yeah. It's the sunshine I mean, here in the UK. That's not saying much, you know, if, if your social life is like mine right now in draft season, like I don't, you know, you, you can't really get out much when you're working this much. Like I try to, you know, like I went with my buddies to Grand Rapids the other, the other weekend, you know, just kind of hanging out, but it's like, it's really tough. You're watching tape a lot. You're writing a lot. It's just how it is. It's part of the job description, especially in this ramp up to the draft. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to talk with you. Maybe twice a week is too much. Maybe we need to dull it down to one a week. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's always a fun time uh, to chat it up with you. And I know uh, it's we we focus on draft prospects and all that, but we also have to keep an eye on the NFL, what's going on there, and how that might impact the draft. So I guess it just makes sense to dive right in. Uh, starting with, I think we should start with the one that uh, happened the earliest, Broncos and the Seahawks uh, trading for Russell Wilson. Uh, he's now So he's now in Denver. And I think the Seahawks got the ninth overall pick. Uh, and then they got a second rounder as well. And I think got some change after that. You know, now that they have that ninth overall pick, Ali, I just want to get your your first impressions on that on that move. You know, obviously for Denver, I feel like getting Russell Wilson. You know, for me personally, and I, I kind of said this when I was analyzing the uh, Washington trade for Wentz, you don't want to deal in half measures at quarterback. It's such an important position. If you only go halfway, it might just set you back even further. So I think, you know, for Denver, it costs a lot, but going all in on, on Russell Wilson, I think is the way to go. At least gives you a Super Bowl window. And then for Seattle, you know, at least you have that ninth overall pick. They could be in position to get a quarterback in this draft. 
What are your first impressions from this trade? It was awesome, man. When this came through, because everything, everyone was so busy focused on what was Aaron Rodgers going to do. And it was like, oh, Aaron Rodgers going back to Green Bay four year, whatever the whatever the, the, the financial repercussions of that ended up being. I don't want to tread on Pat McAfee's toes by saying it was $200 million. Who knows what it was? I certainly don't. But everyone was drawn by the Aaron Rodgers business, as has been a lot of the NFL offseason. And then, bosh, here came the Denver Broncos with the Russell Wilson trade. And as a as an NFL draft analyst, we spent a lot of time of this draft process earmarking the Denver Broncos at the ninth overall selection as a premier landing spot for one of these um, 2022 NFL draft quarterback prospects. Now, regardless of what you, you think of the, the talent level at the position in this this NFL draft, it's been a big um, a big thing that I've kind of hammered home repeatedly on various different podcasts and articles, and it's a supply and demand issue. You know, there's a lot of NFL teams that need a quarterback and not a great deal, many of them knocking around. Um, so the Denver Broncos, you kind of when you sit down to write a mock draft, you know, you do a seven rounder, I do a four rounder every month. We 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 chime in with one rounders here and there, and and the Broncos are always that team that you earmark as a as a landing spot for one of the the, the top quarterback prospects in this class, and and then that's blown out of the water. And I I completely get it from the from Denver's standpoint. You know, you mentioned it there, proven commodity. If there's one position in the NFL that you want to have a proven commodity at is the quarterback position. And, and Russell Wilson is that proven commodity. And I think from the Seattle Seahawks perspective, that relationship's been strained um, the last couple of seasons. I think that's been very apparent. They've got, as you mentioned, an, an absolute haul out of there. The ninth overall pick, the 41st overall pick, I think it is off the top of my head, that um, the Broncos um, give to Seattle. They have also got first rounds in 23, second rounder in 23. Denver Broncos, fifth rounder this year. They've got Drew Locke. They've got Noah Fant. They've got Shelby Harris. So Seattle have got have come out of it with, with a hell of a lot of capital, which is really interesting given the current quarterback climate because at your first thought, first perspective, you think, well, the Seattle Seahawks are picking at nine. They're in the race now to take a quarterback. That's That seems like... Um, an obvious, an obvious move. They've they've fallen in love with a quarterback prospect in this process. Um, it, it's it, it's not it's not lost on me that this trade has come um, at the time that it has, following the NFL Combine, where they've had the opportunity to um, sit down and see the IQ levels of these quarterbacks, find out what they are as uh, away from the field, how they are as a person, um, and your immediate thought process is. This seems like a Malik Willis landing spot because you lose Russell Wilson, a guy who has had a good arm in the NFL, has been mobile in the NFL, and Malik Willis seems like a a, a stone cold replacement, a lock to go to Seattle. But I think there's more at play. You look at, at the the draft capital that they've they've um, acquired. It feels like a, um, a Deshaun Watson type potential move. I know that's a, a real popular opinion. And currently in media circles is that the the Seattle Seahawks have have got a hell of a lot of draft capital now to, to play with. They've not particularly been super successful in hitting on their first round picks either in recent years. I made a I made a, a joke the other day that the Seattle Seahawks will probably take a bad pass rusher in a class which doesn't have many of them, um, such as the reputation of their draft history. But 
Um, it could be that they 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 put a package together to 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 try and get Deshaun Watson, depending on the outcome of of his uh, current situation. I think the yeah, I think the the main takeaway is that there's a lot of options for them here. I think you know, depending on if you don't love a quarterback in this class, you can easily get a top end talent at ninth overall, ride out the 2022 season with Drew Locke, and then you've got two first round picks next year in what looks like initially. All right, we don't know what's going to happen when we're at this point next year, but right now you look at C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young, and then even guys like Will Levis, guys beyond that. Who, there's a lot of talent in that class too. So I think, you know, for Seattle, it's a good opportunity to maybe ride out this year, maybe try and experiment with Drew Locke. I don't, I'm not optimistic that he can revive his career, but, you know, and if he doesn't, at least you have an early first round pick and you have two first rounders. So you could, you know, work a trade up. You have two second rounders as well. So you have the capital this year to strengthen your young core to kind of embark on a mini rebuild. And then next year, you know, you have the capital to make a trade-off for a quarterback if you really need to. So I think it's one of those things where you have options if you're Seattle. And, of course, with Deshaun Watson, I know there's going to be uh, court developments on Friday. So that'll be something to watch. Me, personally, I have not wanted to touch that situation with a 10-foot, 20-foot pole this entire time. If I'm Seattle, I think you got to bank on a young guy. Uh, but I do think there's options. I think that's that's what, you know, having these resources provides you, at the very least, is flexibility. And I think that's what every team wants to strive for. Obviously, they lost a little bit of that with the Jamal Adams trade. So they're getting a little bit of it back, which is good. You know, I think at the end of the day, the window with Wilson looked like it was closing for Seattle. So now both both uh, parties get a fresh start. And I think that's what they needed. So and with Denver, the exciting part is you got to get a right tackle. I think you need to add a little bit more to the receiving room. I think you need to add a little bit more to the defense. Obviously, defensive line, now that Harris is gone, you could add someone there at three tech. You know, I do think maybe linebacker, maybe another corner. Uh, but aside from that, I think Denver has a pretty strong roster overall. Get a right tackle. But if 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 you can do that and you have three, uh, you have three, I think, picks between 64th overall and I think 95th overall. So you have three picks in that early round range still if you're Denver. So even after trading for Russell Wilson, there's still an opportunity for you to add some pretty good talent in what's a very deep draft class. So, you know, I think... You know, in this class, that 50 to 100 range could be a sweet spot where you can get some gems, some diamonds in the rough. And I think Denver has a great opportunity to uh, capitalize on this trade with Russell Wilson by doing that. So uh, a lot of opportunity, I think, for both teams. I think with Denver, you're looking at competing right away. With Seattle, at the very least, you do have flexibility as you're entering this mini rebuild stage, which, you know, you can't ask for more than that if you're kind of resetting, you know, kind of just kind of reloading as you kind of embark on this new journey so i think you know that's a good thing moving to the next trade which i think has a little bit bleaker outlook <laughs> especially for one team uh washington commanders trading for carson wentz man what was your initial reaction i want to know because i had i had a particularly distinct initial reaction i want to know what was yours here you're uh, you're a lot closer to the washington franchise than i am so your reaction was probably a little bit more heartfelt than head felt um on on that one just just going back to the, the point on the the denver broncos and the right tackle situation at the end of the day we're a, we're an nfl draft podcast you mentioned the sweet spot there right tackle is they, they've put themselves you know positioned themselves perfectly in that sweet spot for a guy like daniel Falele or for abraham lucas out of washington state who is really um showcased his athletic ability at the combine and um, we didn't talk about him much on monday's show but he um he really did put on an impressive performance, I thought, in Indianapolis. So a guy like 
Daniel Falele, Abraham Lucas, maybe Darian Kennard even at right tackle for for the Denver Broncos. There is a there's a plenty natural right tackle talent. Yeah, in yeah, that those sweet are some spot. top ones, and then I think Nicholas Petit Frere as well. I know people it's kind of in to hate on him now especially after that ohio state game but looking at his tape i mean the tools are there he has to get stronger he's got to improve his technique but he is a tackle who can play left or right and honestly ohio state switched him to right when he was struggling at left and he played better at right i thought so that could be a good one too there's a lot of options to to be a natural left uh, right tackle in this class even a guy like chris paul of tulsa i mean he played right tackle was very good uh, had a standout senior bowl and tested really well there's options for Denver. So I think that's the exciting part too. But going back to you, uh, you know, the Colts, Washington, uh, what's what's the deal there? Okay, I, me personally, I wrote for a Washington site for a little bit. So I've kind of gone through this, this rotating, this carousel of QBs over there. This just seems like an extension of that. I think it's another half measure that's really not going to get them anywhere. And at the end of the day, they, they spend a couple early round picks on it. So to me, it looks like wasted resources. But what what was your impression of it? Yeah, that's a great way of putting it, like half measures, because Washington essentially have put themselves in a position where they've traded for a, a quarterback who isn't really a viable NFL starter. I don't think that's harsh to say. I think Carson Wentz's his best days of playing NFL football are behind him. Um, and obviously we know like a change of scenery, scenery can um, revitalize and reinvigorate you, but I can't see that being the move for Carson Wentz. I don't see that being the 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 long term outcome of this trade being a revitalization of Carson Wentz as an NFL franchise quarterback. So for the Washington football team, sorry, the Washington Commanders, I've I've, I've got myself now stuck in the ways of saying Washington football team, um, <laughs> which I kind of like as well. I kind of prefer that to Commanders. But hey, this is it grew a, on me. A, it grew on me. So it, I'm going to have to adjust yeah. for sure. Yeah, for sure, man. I mean, this isn't a, an NFL franchise naming podcast, but it definitely could be because I think we've both got some great ideas about various different names for franchises. <laughs> but anyway, we, we digress. Um, so, so for Washington, they're still in a position, I think, where you're looking at that 11th overall pick. and I think they still need to make a move at quarterback. So what they've done is essentially um, they've, moved, they've moved backwards in the second round of this draft. They've given up a 2022 third and a 2023 third that could potentially become a 2023 second. They've given up capital to leave themselves in essentially the same situation, I think. I mean, it, it speaks volumes about what they must think of the, the 2022 NFL draft class, that they have got essentially another bridge guy in the mould of um, Ryan Fitzpatrick. They've made... They've made essentially the same move as last year, but given up more to do it. So I think for the Washington football team, Washington Commanders, I've done it again. Um, I think they've I think they've made a a similar move to last offseason while giving up more capital, which I think you I think we can both agree isn't a great move, right? Yeah, I mean, honestly, man, it's just it's it's so rough. And here's the thing though, like I I was seeing some people, you know, saying they're going to pick a quarterback even after doing this. I personally don't think that, you know, I think if you pick a quarterback, here's the thing. Dan Snyder, we've known he's a pretty prideful guy. I mean, dealing with him, you know, this is not a guy who likes to admit defeat on these moves early. You know, they, he likes to, you know, see them through until it's beyond repair and then you move on. You know, so it's like there's not a lot of accountability there. And that's something that I learned pretty quickly covering the Washington team. 
So what I think is going to happen is, and I think you can't, you can't pick a quarterback now if you're watching, if you're Dan Snyder. I think honestly, because that's admitting defeat that this move that you made for Carson Wentz already wasn't worth it when you spent like what three early round picks on the guy. Like it's, it's. I think now that you've invested that much, I mean, not just the third round pick, uh, you know, not just the third round pick this year and the third rounder that can turn into a second next year and the second round swap this year, but also the 28 million in cap space that severely restricts your flexibility and free agency this year. So I think, you know, you've already invested so much in Carson Wentz. If you're Washington now, if you draft a quarterback in the first round, you're essentially saying you sunk, you know, uh, you sunk all those picks for a guy that's basically going to have the impact that Taylor Heineke could have had as a bridge quarterback in 2022. So I, I think if you, if now you've traded for Carson Wentz, you can't double back on that. You can't do that. I think what you have to do now, you know, as as bad as it sounds for a Washington fan, because I know they were really looking for a clean slate at quarterback. Instead, you kind of get a project who I'm worried might be set in his ways. You know, if you can get 2017 once, then that is that makes it worth it. But is it likely at this point? I don't think it is. There was a stretch early on in the 2021 season where Wentz was playing solid football, but he really regressed down the stretch. I mean, he, he regressed. He really kind of reverted to his old 2020 form. Uh, in, in 2020, he was, you know, a marginal starter. I mean, he he was not good at all. And I think that, you know, here's the thing. Like, you can. That 2017 season did happen. You know, proves he can do that. But do I really trust Washington as the place where they can get that out of them? I don't. So I think... With Washington, it sucks. I think this was a move that you shouldn't have made in the first place. But now that you've made it, I think the best optimal, the choice, the best option in round one is to just get top end talent. So that way you at least give Carson Wentz the best chance to maybe become that. Again, I don't think it's going to happen, but give him the best chance. Now that you've sunk these resources, invest in that. And if it doesn't pan out, you do have an out in the contract in the 2023 offseason. You can, and then you can approach the 2023 NFL draft Try and get a quarterback there. And again, if Wentz plays more than 70%, you're given a second rounder up. So that doesn't give you as much capital to trade up if you need a guy. You know, so I I'm I can see a very likely scenario where Carson Wentz and the Washington Commanders go seven and ten, get stuck in that, you know, 12 to 17 range, and then they don't have enough capital to make a move up when other teams are looking to move up. So it, to me, it, it's like a move that keeps them in limbo. And I never like those moves. I mean, it goes back to the half measures. You know, you never want to take a half measure at quarterback. I feel like that's what they've done here. But now that you have done that, you know, get Kyle Hamilton if he falls. Get one of the best wide receivers. Maybe trade back in the first round this year and get another guy. Because that way, if the Wentz experiment doesn't work out, which at this point, I, I'm probably 75-25 that it's not going to work out. You know, I, I'm not optimistic just because – He's been this marginal starter for the better part of the past two years. And Washington is not a very optimal situation to, you know, improve that, to improve that. Because we thought the Colts was an optimal situation. I mean, he Frank Reich, a coach that he was familiar with, with a coach that, you know, under him as an offensive coordinator, became a pro bowler in 2017. And then he, this coach that he's familiar with, a solid offensive line, solid weapons, Jonathan Taylor helping you in the backfield. And Carson Wentz still reverted to his old form. So I think looking at that, you know, looking at how it soured with him in that familiar environment with that coach that was familiar with him and knew how to work with him, seeing how it soured so quickly doesn't make me optimistic that it's it's going to that it's going to be any better in Washington. But I think now that it's happened, get Kyle Hamilton, maybe get Garrett Wilson or Traylon Burks, you know, Burks, ideally, if you can trade down and still get him, get some picks. 
Uh, but I think you just got to get top end talent because if you do move on from Wentz, at least you can maybe make a move for a quarterback in 2023. And then you have the talent to help insulate his growth uh, when it does happen. So it's a tough situation. I'm not a fan of the move. Um, but for the Colts, especially, I mean, looking at the Colts uh, perspective of it, Ali, it looks like, you know, looking at the picks that they, that they do have now, they have the 42nd pick, the 73rd pick. Uh, the 82nd pick, and then they got a few. They got four picks in the first three rounds next year. So I think if you're the Colts, you, we were talking about it before the podcast, there's a decent chance in this quarterback class. Now, I, I'm of the mind of that, the uh, the QB tax, you know, the positional value naturally drives them up. So I'm not sure there would be a guy there at 42nd, but I don't know. You never know. I think this class is more likely than other classes. But I do think if the Colts don't, like they could wait, but if they don't want to wait, they also have the ammunition to trade up now, maybe to the back of the first and get a guy like uh, like the Packers did with Jordan Love way back when. Now, obviously, that didn't work out for them, but the Colts have that ammunition if they like a guy. What what do you think about this from the uh, Colts' perspective? We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Yeah, I, I just, uh, I've just read a seven-round mock draft for the Colts this morning, so it's um, this tied in quite nicely. The, um, from a Colts perspective, like you say, the, 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 the quarterback tax, that's a great way of putting it. But the position of value does mean that there's um, potential for the quarterbacks to fly off the board. But if we're taking Washington off the table as one of the teams that will have them, that's one of the potential quarterbacks that may still be on the table. Uh, if they have to trade up, maybe with the Bengals at 31, depending on what the Detroit Lions plan is at the quarterback position, maybe the 32nd pick with the, the Detroit Lions. But they could also hang tight at 42 and land themselves someone like Desmond Ritter, who... I've got that arm talent. You know, we, we've we've talked about the deficiencies in Desmond Ridder's game in terms of what he needs to improve on, particularly from an accuracy perspective. But there's no doubt he's got a decent arm behind him. The mobility is there; it's there on tape, and his athletic testing backs that up as well. He's also a leader. He's been a leader for the Cincinnati Bearcats as they've emerged as a a true um, thorn in the side of power five teams and the college football level. And and that's one of the things that's come out of this Carson Wentz trade is um, there was a particularly good article that really looked into the, the the details of the Carson Wentz tenure in Indianapolis. And by all accounts, it seems like he, he failed, might seem like a strong word, but he failed to be a leader. And that's what you need from your quarterback position. And if there's one thing that Desmond Ritter is, it's a leader on and off the field. So I think if the, if the Colts could land someone like Desmond Ritter, they might need a um they might need to take a free agent vet, someone like Mar- uh, Marcus Mariota for example, um just to to smooth that transition. But they could get a, a guy like Desmond Ritter and then you mentioned the plethora of picks that they've got behind them. Nine picks in this 2022 NFL draft now. They could get a guy like you mentioned Nicholas Petit-Ferrer. You know, he's a guy who could come in and play left tackle for the Indianapolis Colts, whose stock has dropped a little bit and could still be there knocking around the early part of round three. Um, they've, you know, there's this great edge talent 
in this class and they need edge rushers, they can still get those later on in the draft. I think it's a, it's turned into quite a nice situation for the, the Indianapolis Colts. I think it's cleared up their situation somewhat as well because they were one of the teams that before they traded Carson Wentz, it was kind of like, well, do they need it? Do they need the quarterback position? Don't they need the quarterback? When might they? A lot of them in and are in about the Colts, but their position is very clear now. They need a quarterback, whether it's in free agency or whether it's in the draft. They need a quarterback because Sam Ellinger, with all due respect to, to Sam, a Texas Longhorn legend, he's not going to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. So you had to bring Sam Ellinger into this. I did. I wow. did have to bring Sam Ellinger. I Sam's drawing strays out here. My goodness. <laughs> I, I love Sam. I love Sam Ellinger as a as a college football player, and I love him as a. He seems like a great kid. But yeah, I don't think I don't think we can say that he's a a long term viable starting NFL quarterback. So the the Colts position is clear now. They they need a quarterback. They need a left tackle. They need to add on on an edge rusher. There's a couple of other little bits of pieces of, uh, around there, but they were only a few close games away from the NFL playoffs. So they're a team that that is in a position where they can, like the Denver Broncos, they can be a, a force in the NFL if they just get the quarterback position right. So I, yeah. I think it's a, I think it's worked out well for the Colts this trade. Yeah, you could argue that they were a playoff team and got held back by the quarterback play. So it, it's one of those things. Where you made a couple of great points. I think the the first one being. You know the trades that have happened have kind of have kind of subtracted from the number of QB needy teams ahead of the Colts. I mean, you could argue that now the Seahawks have added to that, but there is a chance that the Seahawks focus on adding talent this year. Maybe roll with Drew Locke uh, in the 2022 season. We don't know. Maybe they kind of use that as a bridge year for next year because they have the assets to go get their guy in 2023. But you know there is a chance that now that um, Washington has their guy quotation marks because I don't think he's gonna be their guy for long and then now that Denver has their guy that's two teams that we were frequently I think every single mock draft giving them a QB in round one now they don't need that so that really kind of increases the chance of a QB sliding into the Colts range where where either they're willing to trade up for him or maybe one is sitting there at 42 so it definitely increases that probability and then also the leadership aspect I think looking at all of these guys you know I think uh you mentioned Desmond Ritter, great character, great leader off the field. Um, Malik Willis, great character. People have been raving about him this offseason. Kenny Pickett, another great leader. I mean, everyone at Pitt raves about him. I mean, you listen to him talk, just a very impressive young guy. And then also, you know, I think um, Sam Howell, Matt, Matt Corral, they both garnered very good reviews as leaders off the field too. So, you know, character-wise, largely this class is very strong. Now, it is interesting because I do remember – when he was coming out of, of NDSU, I think Carson Wentz got some pretty good reviews as a leader too. So there's a lot more to it than being a good leader or a bad leader. It's not so black and white. I do think that, you know, Carson Wentz, because the, the issues with Wentz is that, you know, he doesn't take strong criticism very well. You know, maybe he doesn't, you know, retain that that information on fixing his mechanics and stuff like that, reverts to bad habits on the field, and then doesn't take strong criticism. So leadership is a lot of different things. So it's not for us to say if these QBs are, you know, the perfect leaders, the guys that, you know, they have it or they don't. It's a lot more uh, detail oriented than that. But off of our, our, you know, bird's eye view, it looks like this class is pretty strong in that regard. So I think the Colts definitely have an opportunity to uh, benefit from that. We'll see. But I mean, you made some great points with it being, you know, th th there might be an opportunity for them with the QB needy team to start to dwindling. And especially with free agency. I mean, there's more quarterback movement to come. 
you know, with guys like Jimmy G, maybe Jameis Winston, you know, Mitchell Trubisky. I don't know how his name got caught back up into this, but, you know, there's a lot of movement that's still left to play out. <laughs> and I do think, you know, it, these teams are going to convince themselves that, hey, we can roll with this veteran. And that might open up the door for the Colts to kind of luck into one of these rookies. And then you get a cost effective starter for at least four years who you can try and build around, try and win with, with a pretty strong roster already. I think it's a good situation to be in. Um, real quick, Ali, we're going to switch over to pro day stuff. But, you know, you were talking about I know we were we were kind of brainstorming before this and you were talking about you mentioned the Saints as well. You know, any other QB needy teams that, uh, you know, have relevant updates from these developments that you can that you can speak to right now? When you think about the teams that need quarterbacks, the Saints, obviously, there seems to be a lot of uh, a lot of buzz about um about Jimmy, you mentioned Jimmy Garoppolo. Seems to be a lot of Saints and Jimmy Garoppolo cross talk at the moment. Um, obviously, the Pittsburgh Steelers are a team who are, are, are going to need a quarterback. I, I don't care what the noise out of that franchise is, is with regards to Mason Rudolph and Dwayne Haskins. I, I don't foresee either of those two guys being the long term future, maybe, maybe not even the short term QB1. I know that's something that. Uh, Mike Tomlin spoke about um, in the immediate aftermath of the season is, look, we're going to give these two guys the opportunity to be the QB1 of this team. But I, I don't see, I've not seen anything out of either of those that would suggest that, that they're the answer. So you look at the Steelers, you look at the Saints, you look at the Carolina Panthers picking at six, six overall. Um, you look at the Detroit Lions, you look at, like, you, you just keep running up the, the, the different teams, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you know, Tom Brady's, potentially done we say potentially because yeah he's officially announced it but it seems like that guy really not enjoying being away from the football environment so he, he could come back and he could come back to tampa bay he could come back anywhere so tampa bay buccaneers you know if you believe that carl trask is the quarterback of the the tampa bay buccaneers for the 2022 nfl season good luck in tampa bay because you're not getting anywhere near the super bowl as far as i'm concerned based on my exposure to carl trask um so yeah there's, there's so many teams and this, this this trade these two trades really do impact what we're going to see over the next two months yeah and i'm excited to kind of look at you know how it's going to play out in free agency because obviously we're draft guys, but they go hand in hand. You know, it's one of those things where you can't have one without the other. And that kind of ties back to, you know, our awesome NFL team, Adam Beasley, Dalton Miller, Mike Kay, you know, Aaron Wilson, you know, they're putting in the work on that stuff. And I know as free agency comes, it's only going to get more and more comprehensive. So, you know, make sure you stay tuned with those guys. Obviously, they're going to keep you up to date on absolutely everything. And I know us as draft analysts, we got to stay up to date as well because it really impacts how we view the draft when it comes in April. Uh, but moving on from that, we talked about that a lot. We're kind of past the halfway point here. We've got pro days to talk about as well. And that's an exciting development because I feel like, you know, especially this year with the NFL Combine, we were talking about it a couple episodes ago where, you know, the situation wasn't always ideal. You know, like by the end, they were doing drill after drill after drill. By the end of it, you know, at the three cone, you're gassed. You don't feel like you can put up your best numbers. So there was some criticism regarding how the NFL Combine was structured and it kind of strengthened the movement that players have a better opportunity to put up better numbers at their pro days. So the pro day circuit is starting out. We're writing up previews for you guys, and they're kind of filtering in. Uh, but already, and I know we're going to be talking about the Wednesday pro day session. Right now, we're, we're recording on Thursday. It probably won't be out until Friday. So it's one of those things where, you know, we're going to, we won't be able to have the third Thursday ones yet because those haven't come in all at once. But we can talk about Wednesday's pro days, kicking off the pro day session. Ali, I know there was a lot of uh, talk about some of these teams and the numbers that some players put up. 
uh, the pro days that were uh, taking place on Wednesday and, and before that as well. I know so far we've had Miami, Ohio, Youngstown State, Northwestern, Alabama A&M, Arkansas, Kansas, Kansas State, Monmouth, uh, Oklahoma, UAB, UTEP, Wisconsin, and Appalachian State. So a lot, uh, a lot of action so far. Uh, I want to ask you because I know you had some names that you wanted to bring up so far through the pro day cycle. Who's caught your eye? Yeah, let's uh, let we're both, we're both going to talk about some guys. Let's talk about a guy who's very much in the news at the moment. You've mentioned his name once already during this podcast: Arkansas wide receiver Traylon Burks, because Traylon didn't have the greatest of NFL combine experiences by a lot of people's expectations. His uh, his four point five five forty yard dash was, I think, it took a lot of people by surprise, um, because on it on tape he's got a lot of speed for his size, and he, we've seen that in the way he can add value after the catch. So the four point five five forty yard dash was a real eye opener. But alongside that, there was some pretty average measurements for things in like the explosion drill so his vertical jump for example so arkansas pro day a lot of eyes on that yesterday a lot of people expecting traylon burks to go out and run his 40 again he didn't i think that caught a lot of people by surprise um but given the um some of the speeds that we saw out of the indianapolis 40 yard dash track um, potentially Burks didn't think he'd be able to improve on that 40-yard dash at the Arkansas Pro Day. But what he did improve on was his vertical jump, 35.5, um, so a better vertical jump, better explosion numbers, which is kind of what you would expect out of the, the, the player that he is. Um, I thought what was um, was most important for Traylon Burks out of yesterday, we, we had a report out from Tony Pauline here at profootballnetwork.com who said that um, that Traylon Burks reportedly ran very well in the drills, which is huge because that was something that earlier on in the process, during training for the combine, there was a lot of talk um, out of the training camps that Traylon Burks was a part of that he had, he really just didn't look the part compared to some of the other wide receivers that he was training alongside. He, he didn't look like he'd got it in the drills, didn't look in, in great shape in those drills. So to hear that he, he put in a real good performance in some of the on-field drills, I think that is more important than him going out there and running the 40-yard dash again. Um, because at the end of the day, he, he's at, at 6'3", 225 pounds. He isn't a guy who's going to go out there and compete with a guy like Caelan Barnes, the, the Baylor cornerback. He's not going to compete with Taquan Thornton, the Baylor wide receiver. He's, he's not as fast as those guys. It just isn't, it's not going to happen. Um, but to hear that he ran well in the drills, I think, is a, is a huge part of um, reassessing and reasserting Traylon Burke's NFL draft stock. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, the 4-5-40 is, yeah, everyone was making a big deal out of the Burke stuff. And to be fair, like, to be fair, you know, holding myself accountable here, when I saw that 4-5-5 initially, I was like, wow. I, like, I was taken aback. And I was like, oh, okay, well, maybe Burks isn't as good as we thought. You know, you got to keep that discipline and and trust the tape. Like the tape outweighs all. Obviously, the combine is great to reevaluate and kind of you know adjust. You know your perspective. Maybe a guy tests better or worse than you expected. That's when you go back to the tape and see if you misidentified something. But you know, thinking back on it, I was like thinking to myself, well, hang on, this guy's six two. He's two hundred twenty five pounds, and he runs a four five. You know, size adjusted speed, that's pretty dang good. You know, and especially, you know, a four or five. I mean, he's got that long strider speed. I mean, he can explode pretty quickly upfield. That shows up on tape. Maybe not, you know, a complete burner, not a breakaway guy, 
but he does have that speed to challenge downfield. And then from there, I mean, contested catch threat, you know, he's got that in his arsenal, 33 and a half inch arms. So really long frame uh, with huge hands, by the way. So he can snare those passes. He can box out guys. And then also a very good run after catch threat. So I think for Traylon Burks, I think you've done enough to solidify your spot, your stock, not necessarily rise into that top 10 range where you're that elite wide receiver prospect, but you have done enough to, I think, stay in the first round conversation. That four, five, 35 and a half inch vertical is a good explosiveness number for your size. Again, and then just, you know, thinking back to the frame, 225 pounds, 35 or 33 and a half inch arms. You know, this is a guy who I think has all the tools, right? So again, not like a crazy athlete who runs a four, three, but I don't think, you know, even I didn't quite expect that. I expected maybe four, four, but not this burner, you know, not a guy who who's going to blow the socks off of Kalen Barnes. All right. You know, but again, I think he did enough and hearing that he tested that he did well in the drills ran well there was very good because I think one of the concerns you could say on his tape is that he's not the sharpest route runner, doesn't have elite lateral agility, but, you know, as long as he can show that in drills that he has good enough for his size, that's really all he needs to do to prove that he can be a, a viable weapon in the NFL. So I think uh, it was a good performance for Traylon Burks. I was happy about that. You know, moving around the, the pro day circuit, I feel like we got to stop and we got to spend some time on the Wisconsin pro day. Cause some numbers out of there were insane. I know Leo Chanel, he's got a lot of fans and I'll be honest, you know, like I wasn't a huge fan of the tape. I, I liked it for sure. The lateral agility, the stiffness laterally was something that stood out to me sometimes, but you know, vertical athlete wise going straight forward, attacking the, the box, you know, this guy is a mauler, you know, around six, three, two fifty. I remember he, he measured it at the combine. So he's a tank super explosive straight line wise and then he put up 34 bench reps which would have been the top number at the nfl combine over zion johnson over all the offensive linemen so leo chanel he's a tank i think you got to use him the right way i don't trust him in coverage yet so i'm not gonna you know i'm not quite there with the top 50 hype but i could see an nfl team taking him in the top 50 just because he's got that you know lunch pail mentality where he's going to go out give 110 percent, and he is explosive enough you know and physical enough to be a very, very, very dangerous weapon in the box as a pass rusher, you know, you know, kind of hitting those gaps with force and, and disrupting run plays, you know, uh, really like his his projection there. I think some other guys too. Matt Henningsen was a guy. I, I'm a big fan of this guy. He's in my top 150. Uh, he he didn't get a combine invite, which I was very surprised by because he com- he comes out, man. Uh, he had a six, you know, he's around six three and a half, two eighty nine, uh, with arms over thirty three inches. And he had a 37 and a half inch vertical and a 119 inch broad jump. Those are stellar explosiveness numbers. The vertical in particular, I think would have been the best vertical at the combine among defensive tackles. And Henningsen, it definitely shows up on tape. Again, I don't think he's got, you know, super, super good lateral agility. He can be a little stiff again as a defensive tackle, but straight line power, you know, he really does a great job of driving his arms into those pads and really driving his power forward, using that explosiveness to leverage force at the point of attack. Big fan of this guy, high motor guy, very disruptive straight line. You know, put him at three tech and let him thrive in the NFL. I think that's that's what you get with Henningsen. Uh, c- could be a very good value deal. You know, I think uh, some other guys, Fion Hicks, uh, the corner. I was a big fan of this dude as well. You know, watching the tape, I was watching Wisconsin. I was looking at Chanel and Henningsen, and Fion Hicks kept standing out when I was getting that sideline view every single time. You know, watching him match guys downfield. He's uh, a little on the smaller side, 
but he is small. He's or he's quick. He's feisty. You know, he's very good at staying in phase, a really twitchy, energetic mover who has easy athleticism, you know, and I think that that showed up at the pro day as well, running a four, three, seven. I thought he had the speed to match guys. So I was really excited to see that. And then also having a 37 and a half inch vertical. Uh, and you look at the 123 inch broad jump and then the three cone, six, seven, eight. I mean, Fion Hicks, I think he's a guy that's slept on. I really like the coverage ability and the tenacity in coverage for a smaller guy. I think maybe put him in the slot, but he can play the boundary too. Uh, he's an underrated player in this class who I was a big fan of watching. And then Scott Nelson as well. I mean, 438 uh, ran a 662 three cone, which is pretty insane. And then 39 and a half inch vertical, 126 inch broad. I know Scott Nelson, another guy where I'm writing down that name and I'm going to get back to the tape. Ali, looking at the uh, Wisconsin Pro Day, what stood out to you there? Yeah, it's definitely Leo Chanel. Like, that was. An incredible, I, I don't think incredible is a big enough word or it's long enough, but it's not impactful enough. Insane numbers out of Leo Chanel. Because you mentioned there, some of the, I did I did this scan report and I, I'm like you, I'm not convinced this guy is the borderline first round um, prospect that, that some people have him tabbed as being. Um, I, I think, you know, he's, he's in that group behind um, the likes of Nakobe Dean, Devin Lloyd, Chad Moomer, Brian Asamoah, who I'm going to let you talk about Brian Asamoah very shortly. Um, he's he's in that he's in that sort of top 100 group, but I don't see him as a as a first round um, nailed on linebacker three that that some people do in this class. And you you reference some of the stuff he does really well, and some of the stuff he's he's got work to do. And for me, when I watched him, I don't see a guy who possesses. You know, elite or even excellent change of direction skills. You touched on they that uh, trusting him in coverage. At the moment, he's not a guy who really shows much um, promise in terms of coverage because of that um, apparent lack of um, lateral agility and the change of direction skills that come with that. And it, that obviously potentially diminishes his value to play all three downs, and therefore really diminishes his NFL draft stock. But some of the numbers I've his Wisconsin Pro Day yesterday were just insane. A 6.843 cone, 3.94 um, short shuttle, which the average for a um, uh, four-year average for an NFL inside linebacker is 4.3 seconds, and Leo Chanel blew the doors off of the, the building with a 3.94. His 4.53 40-yard dash time is well below the 4.7 average of the nfl position and you touched on there the bench press like 34 reps on the bench press but it's just insane so all around an insane uh, uh pro day performance from leo chanel but wisconsin they, there's something in the water up there we talked about there being something in the water at baylor in terms of the speed that those guys produced at the the nfl combine but there's clearly something in the in the wisconsin water for their pro day so yeah for me for me leo chanel was the guy that stood out from their performance and then some of the other pro days, like I say, we're, we're going to touch on Oklahoma shortly, but it would be wrong with me not to get in the, uni the University of Alabama Birmingham pro day um, because this tight end class has been talked about quite frequently as being very deep. Um, I, I think it's exceptionally deep. And at the combine, I don't think anyone um, separated themselves at the top. I didn't think anyone sort of, the, the combine can be used to kind of separate guys who are very close. And I don't think at the top of the class that happened, but what I do think is the class condensed with guys like Jelani Woods and 
Chigo uh, Conquo out of Maryland, who kind of asserted themselves in uh, in that in the NFL Combine, and then the UAB Pro Day, Jared Prince or Garrett Prince, however you want to pronounce his name, he put in a really solid performance. It makes you think you need to go back and and watch the tape on this kid because he's impressive. He's an impressive tight end prospect who doesn't get a lot of people talking about him, but. Pro day numbers, 468, 40-yard dash, which would have been the fifth best um, tight end 40-yard dash time um, at the combine. 32-inch vert, 93-quarter broad jump. He's You turn on the tape, he's impressive as a route runner. One of the things that impresses me most is it really showcases the ability. And we talked about this with Jameson Williams as a wide receiver prospect, but really showcases his ability to vary his route speed, which helps him cause absolute havoc for the defensive back. He's got great ball skills as well. Very sure-handed, can track the ball well. Um, and all that leads together, put together, leads to a, an impressive tight end prospect who no one's talking about. So hopefully the, the pro day numbers make people go back and watch Gary Prince a little bit better. He, he was a star on the All-Star Game circuit as well um, this time around. So yeah, re- re- really impressive. Let's go to Oklahoma though, because I know you're dying to talk about your guy, Brian Asamoah. Yeah, I just got some quick comments too on the on the last stuff, like Chanel, going back to him. It's really weird to me. I made this comment to you before the show. He tested very well in the agility drill, and yet I, I don't see that elite agility on tape. It's kind of the similar deal with Aiden Hutchinson, right? I mean, he had that freaky three cone, you know, and looking at his tape, I thought his agility, you know, originally I was like, I think the three cone kind of latched in my mind, and it was like, well, he has this, so he has to be a good uh, agile guy, right? But as I watch more of his tape, it's like, well, hang on. Agility isn't quite the strength that I thought it was for Hutchinson. You know, he's not a super efficient mover, really upright a lot, and that can make him tight on those direction changes. So I honestly, I don't know how how completely, how totally it translates. I, I think they have that ability, but I do think it, like being a good tester in the agility drills does not necessarily translate to having good efficiency of motion right now. So I think there is still work to do there. It's really interesting to see that dichotomy there. But, you know, it's something, again, you go back to the tape, see if those flashes are there, you reevaluate. Uh, and then obviously this tight end class, man, I mean, you were saying it, Jarrett Prince, I think it's Jarrett. I don't even know. I'll have to, I'll have to double check that, but he he's a vertical threat. And like you said, has that throttle control where he can adjust his stride links and use that to separate another tight end who tested very well in the pro day circuit, Youngstown state, uh, Andrew Ogletree. This was a guy who, you know, I had a chance to watch some hula bowl tape and he flashed, man. He's, he's an athlete, had a four, six, nine, had 26 bench reps. 35-inch vertical, 124-inch broad, all very, very good numbers for a guy who has that size. I think Andrew Ogletree is pretty slept on right now. I could see him sneaking into the into the day three range. You know, I, I do think, you know, having that athleticism and also being a standout at the hula bowl and showing that he can make those plays, uh, he's a guy that I'm circling right now because he's got those traits. Moving to Oklahoma, I know that's a, that's a big one. And I know we've got like five minutes, five to ten minutes at the most here, so we'll kind of pick up the pace. But Oklahoma was one where, you know, I was really impressed with some of the numbers. I think Laron Stokes was a guy who really opened my eyes. I remember he flashed when I was watching Isaiah Thomas and uh, Perry and Winfrey. Uh, but I, I honestly, these numbers, 4'9", he's a defensive tackle, uh, around 6'3", and 3'4", 278 pounds, 4'9", um, 40, 33.5 inch vertical. Uh, broad jump, I think it was 116 inches. So pretty, very, very good performance from Stokes. I'm really interested to go back on his tape and see what we can see there. Uh, Brian Asamoah, 
coming in with uh, 23, I think 23 bench reps at, uh, you know, having those almost 33 inch arms was very impressed by that. And I know, you know, at the combine, Asamoa, I think he had like a 36 and a half inch vertical, four, five, six, 40. So he's got that explosiveness, that range where I think, you know, he, I was talking with him. We had an interview piece. Uh, he was a very bright kid. I, I feel weird saying kid, very bright guy. Uh, and he's, he's one of those guys where, you know, he's, he switched to inside linebacker at Oklahoma. So he's only been playing inside linebacker for like a few years. He, in high school, he was an outside linebacker. Uh, and really his main thing was setting the edge and patrolling the flats. So it's been a process for him, but I, I thought it really started to click for him down the stretch in 2021, kind of getting those signals, com communicating with the rest of the defense and playing fast. I mean, he he has the athleticism to play very fast. And on top of that, I think his confidence continues to improve as a playmaker. So I think Asamoah is a guy, he's just scratching the surface of what he can be. And I think, you know, having that athleticism is a big deal for him. Uh, some other, I don't, I didn't see anyone who really blew the doors off. Nick Benino was another one. This was more of the NFL combine, but weighing in at, at 248 pounds was big for Benito. And then he still tested very well. I think he had a four, five, four, 40 yard dash and a 35 inch vertical. So still coming with that speed and explosiveness. I was a big fan of what I saw from him. And I think on tape, you see that speed and bend uh, is really something that can help him out the next level. So a lot to like from that Oklahoma pro day, I think. Leron Stokes and Brian Asamoah, two guys to really circle and make sure that, you know, you, you get your get your eyes on those guys. Stokes is a guy who could be, you know, a gem late in the draft. Asamoah could be one of the first linebackers off the board. I don't expect him to go round one, but on day two, you know, round two or round three, he's a guy that, you know, I would definitely be I would definitely be willing to invest in. So a lot of nice performances. Another one we got to talk about, Kyron Johnson, Kansas. And this was a guy who he was at the senior bowl and it was interesting because he was only like six foot 231 pounds. So he looks like an off ball linebacker, but he was repping with the edge rushers for a, a long time that week, you know, along with Jesse Lucetta, you know, and he was, he was driving them straight into the torso. He was blowing these guys back, exploding off the line, uh, exerting some power. I was really impressed by his performance. He was listed as a linebacker in our, in our, you know, layout. So I didn't, I, I ended up not writing him up. But I was watching this guy and I was like, wow, Kyron Johnson, you know, write this name down. And he comes out at his pro day at Kansas, 436, 39 and a half inch vertical at six foot 231. I don't think he plays edge rusher at the, at the next level just because he's too small. But I do think he's a guy who he has that tenacity and that aggressiveness as a playmaker coming downhill as a pass rusher where you can move him around. You know, and you can attack the offense with different alignments and just throw him around. You know, if there's a tight end on one side, move Kyron over there, let him blow that guy into the dirt. You know, this is one of those things where I, I love having that explosiveness, that tenacity at the point of attack. I think Kyron Johnson has that and testing as well as he did was really, you know, eye popping. I knew he was a good player, you know, watching him at the, at the uh, senior bowl. But seeing those testing numbers, I mean, I think this is a guy who can be, you know, kind of a chess piece for you. You know, he doesn't quite have the size to be, you know, that ultimate X, X factor. But again, I think, you know, having that ability to blitz, you know, be an off ball guy, maybe a Sam who can be, a, you know, an extra rusher on plays. You know, I think that's a great opportunity for Kyron Johnson. So I was really impressed by that. Um, I know we're almost out of time, so I'll just throw some guys out. You can throw some guys out and we'll close it out. But I think. You know, a few guys that also caught my eye on the pro day circuit. I'm looking here. I uh, Justin Terry, Monmouth Corner, uh, came out with a 38, 
38 inch vertical and 125 inch broad jump. Again, I feel like he's a little underweight. He came in at 178 pounds, but looking at his stats, and again, I, I feel like with FCS corners, Zion McCollum is one example. I feel like if you're an elite athlete, you tend to be productive at that level because you're, you know, a better athlete than guys around you. And Justin Terry from Monmouth really showed that at his. So that's a guy I'm writing down. Uh, another one. This is a guy that I, I watched some of his 2019 and 2020 tape. I didn't have 2021, but Mike Brown, safety from Miami, Ohio. You know, he came in at six foot, five eighths, 220 pounds, uh, had a four, five, five, 40 and a 33 inch vertical, eight really good 18 bench reps. Uh, but then his broad jump was 125 inches. So really showing that explosiveness. That's something I saw on tape. I don't think he's an elite range threat, which is 40 shows. But he he did take a lot of reps from the slot. He was willing to come up and enforce in the box. I think, you know, right away has special teams utility, but could be a, a big slot, strong safety hybrid at his max projection. Mike Brown was a guy that I was a pretty big fan of watching his tape relative to where he where he is right now. Like, I don't think he's really on the radar. But, you know, take a flyer on him or get him as a PFA and he could go on to uh, establish himself in a role. Uh, any others? I'm, 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 I'm scrolling through here. We haven't had a ton of pro days yet, so the numbers are going to keep coming in. We'll keep you guys updated, but it, it's it's just so much to go through. It's a lot of fun. So, Ali, I'll, I'll give the floor to you one last time. Any other guys that you want to bring up through the pro day circuit or do you have pro days in the future that you got kind of uh, catching your eye that you want to kind of watch? Yeah, so what I wanted to do just to finish off was this is going out on Friday morning. Um, so let's talk about some guys that hopefully showcase a little bit of something, something on Thursday because there's a few pro days going on um, as we're recording this that go back, check out these guys, see how they did because uh, I'm expecting to see some great performances out of these guys. And if, if they've not been on your radar, go back, check, see how they did get some tape, watch them perform, because I'm intrigued to see how Eric Johnson, the defensive tackle out of Missouri State, goes um, today in their pro day. he's uh, You don't see too many um, NFL draft prospects out of Missouri State, but he's a guy who has really accelerated and ascended via the pro day, uh, via the all-star game circuit. You know, went out and showed out in Pasadena for the NFL PA Bowl, got the invite to Senior Bowl, looked really comfortable amongst you know, power five players, the the elite of the elite that they had at the senior ball this year. So Eric Johnson is a guy who um, he should test really well because he's a, a kid that had ex exceptional athletic ability at the high school level and um, packed on a load of weight, but didn't seem to lose much of that athleticism um, as he progressed through his Missouri State career. So go, go, out, go check out what Eric Johnson got up to. Texas cornerback Josh Thompson is Texas pro day today. Rare that Texas, you know, is lacking in NFL draft prospects, which they are this year. There's no, um, there's no real standout guys from them. But Josh Thompson, the cornerback, is a, a name that um, is starting to gain some traction in NFL draft circles because he's he's an incredible talent. Um, go and check out here how he tests Tulsa. We don't need to talk too much about Tyler Smith, the offensive tackle. He's um, he looked really smooth on the field at the combine. That was my bit. One of my biggest takeaways from the NFL combine was. How Tyler, how smooth Tyler Smith looked out on the field. Um, so he'll be he'll be there at Tulsa Pro Day today. Chris Paul and wide receiver Josh Johnson, who I really like, really underrated wide receiver. Yes, sir. He didn't, yes, sir. <laughs> he didn't run the forty of the combine, so I'll be intrigued to see if he runs that at the Tulsa Pro Day. Um, so you can go back and check on how he went on. And there's a final one. I'm really intrigued to see 
what Ty Freifogel does at the Indiana Pro Day because his performance at the Combine really surprised me. Um, 39 inch the 10-7 broad, so really great explosive numbers. 4-5-3 official 40-yard dash time, which I, I didn't see any of those things on tape when I watched Ty Freifogel. So I'm intrigued to see um, if he replicates those numbers at the Indiana Pro Day because if he does, he might, he might be with going back to the tape, reevaluating and and thinking about giving Ty Freifogel a little boost up the, the NFL draft board. Yeah, and that's exactly what this is about, going back and reevaluating. So, uh, you know, Josh Johnson at the Shrine Bowl, man, some of the breaks, some of the route breaks he had, this dude is twitchy, and he explodes out of those breaks. Acceleration, really excited to see if he tests, because I love that dude. He's got great proportional length as well. Tyler Smith, a, a true top-end talent physically at, at tackle. I'm a very big fan of him. I have him over Trevor, Trevor Penning as a prospect, personally. I like both of them. I like the upside for both, but I have him a little bit over Penning, personally. A lot of guys to watch, man. I'm a big fan. Josh Thompson, too. Really athletic corner who I think is showing a lot, you know, not just in coverage, but in run support as well. He comes down. He's willing to be physical. So a lot of guys. And uh, if, you, if you're listening, everyone, like we could go on about these players. We could go on and on and list like dozens and dozens. We're not going to do that. I know Ali's got obligations today. I've got obligations today. So we're going to call it for now. But we've we've gone through the trade implications. We've gone through the pro day. And uh, I'm sure next Monday we'll have more good stuff to talk about with you, with all you got, with all you people. So I think, you know, we'll wrap it up there. Thank you for listening. Obviously, you know, you can follow Ali at OJ Hodgkinson on Twitter, myself at Ian underscore Cummings underscore nine. Thank you, everybody, for listening. As always, feel free to send us questions on Twitter. And, you know, maybe one of these days we'll get a mailbag going. We'll, we'll answer questions live on air. We don't know. We'll figure it out. We kind of wing it as we go. But it's always fun to talk with you, Ali, and, you know, to, to give the knowledge to everyone out there. Uh, until next time, everyone, uh, peace out. Have a good one.